Hi, and welcome to the Bible Tribe. I'm Denise Pass with Seeing Deep Ministries, where we see deep in a shallow world and overcome the battles of the mind with the Word of God. What are you expecting from this life, from God? Expectations can really let us down. Much of our life is spent longing for something we really hope for or believe in, and yet it still seems so out of reach. In our reading in Genesis this week, Sarah did not even want to hope in the expectation of a son. And Lot's wife longed for what she left behind. In Joshua, the tribes of Israel were expected to divide the promised land, but were putting off doing it. Fear precluded their willingness to do what they had been promised. What land are you not occupying? Do you dare to hope or just try to exist through this really hard life? Expectations can become idolatry, but there is an expectation that is both fitting and a joy as we rely on God's plans, not our own. In Isaiah, God's people did not want to have their security or expectations in God, but God still had a future plan that will affect the entire cosmos. I can't wait to dive into Isaiah on that bit in just a minute. The psalmist echoed the future hope expressed in Isaiah and Job, who expected blessings for righteousness and struggled to understand the thoughts of God. In Matthew, the Pharisees expected God to do things their way and did not expect a Messiah to not follow their rules. In the book of Romans, we see that when we cannot understand God's plan, he gives us his mind so we can. In all our readings this week, there is a stumbling block one must choose to step over as one waits on God. Genesis teaches us that a perceived delay in God's promises does not mean God is untrustworthy. Joshua teaches us that just because there are obstacles in our way, it does not mean we should fear man rather than God. Isaiah teaches us God's promises are eternal and unbreakable, which is hard to see when death is in view. Job teaches us in a very Ecclesiastes-style way that the injustice in this world cannot triumph over God's justice. God will always prevail. Matthew teaches us that when self-righteousness, unbelief, and our own failures block our view of God's promises, his promises are never based on our ability to carry them out. And Romans tells us that even then, God's plans and calling are irrevocable. Wow, what a week it has been. Let's unpack this in a bit in each of the books this week. As a reminder, God made the promise of a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, a reiteration of the covenant in Genesis 13, a confirmation and cutting of the covenant in Genesis 15, and then in Genesis 17 was the sign of the covenant. I think to our delicate Western ears, we do not care much for some of the perhaps perceived crude means of how this covenant was carried out. From the perspective of grace, we see our sovereign God carrying out his faithful duties for his helpless, dependent vassal, who was to offer loyalty in a treaty similar to the ancient Near Eastern Hittite treaties. Yet Yahweh fulfilled what his people could not. From the perspective of our humanness, the sign of the covenant is, well, not palatable to our sensitivities in our more sophisticated world, right? Genesis 17:13 says, all must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Today, this is a common medical procedure that men go through. I don't think we pause to consider. It is a privilege and an honor to bear children created in the image of God. The offspring of our flesh is to be holy. 
We see this echoed again in Genesis 18, 19. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Surely reminder in the flesh is a vivid reminder that our children are God's children and we will be accountable for how we raise them. And it's an indicator of having a relationship with the creator of this universe. But waiting is hard. Last week, we saw Sarai, now called Sarah, taking matters into her own hands. Sure, God made the promise that they would have children, but 10 years had passed and no kid had been born. Waiting is hard to do. So Sarah gave her handmaid to Abram, now Abraham. Again, to our modern ears, this sounds crazy. But in the Mesopotamian culture from which Abraham emerged, ancient marriage contracts sometimes had a clause in them that made provision for a man to have another woman bear a child on his wife's behalf if she was unable to have children. Sarah was told she would be expecting at 90 years old. She laughed. Abe laughed. Sometimes we do, too. It's hard to keep our hopes fixed on God's plan when it seems to take so long to be fulfilled. Sarah dared not hope for something she had wanted. Her whole life, unfulfilled desires she had treasured in her heart and tried to make happen in her own strength just did not seem possible. In Genesis 17, it had been 13 years since God spoke the first promise. Abraham was 99, and Yahweh uses the language, I will. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. I will be your God. Meanwhile, what was Lot waiting for or expecting while he lived in a sinful place? Lot's familiarity with the ways of Sodom and Gomorrah caused him to lose his moral compass and fear man rather than God. He offered his own virgin daughters up to wicked men to do what they wanted with them to protect the men in his home who were visitors from heaven. But Lot's own daughters ended up sleeping with their father as they reasoned in their own minds that was only to carry on the family line. It is hard to read these things in Scripture, but the presence of sin in Scripture is not sinful. It awakens us to what destroys God's people if we are not careful. We can learn from their example, but perhaps we can learn a bit about misplaced expectations from Lot's wife. Genesis 19.26 says, But Lot's wife looked back longingly and was turned into a pillar of salt. The Hebrew verb navat means to look intently, to gaze longingly. The net translation notes state that Lot's wife apparently identified with the doomed city and thereby showed a lack of respect for God's provision of salvation. She, like her daughters later, had allowed her thinking to be influenced by the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do we long for righteousness in God's ways? Or have we adapted to the surrounding culture and perhaps have longings and expectations that are a mix of the world and God's word? What is amazing to consider is that despite the sinfulness of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham's request to spare Sodom and Gomorrah, if there were even 10 righteous left, was not even met. But God still showed mercy and spared Lot. In Isaiah 25, verse 7, we see a glorious promise. Let's read from Isaiah 25, 6 through 10. 
The Lord of heaven's armies will hold a banquet for all the nations on this mountain. At this banquet, there will be plenty of meat and aged wine, tender meat and choicest wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the shroud that is over all the peoples, the woven covering that is over all the nations. He will swallow up death permanently. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Indeed, the Lord has announced it. At that time, they will say, look, here's our God. We waited for him and he delivered us. Here is the Lord. We waited for him. Let's rejoice and celebrate his deliverance. What a moment this will be. Do you believe this promise, friends? Or is it hard to see and believe in God's promised spiritual realities in the face of all the harsh physical realities that surround us? Let's look closer at Isaiah 7. It says, on this mountain... He will swallow up the shroud that is over all the peoples, the woven covering that is over all the nations. He will swallow up death permanently. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Indeed, the Lord has announced it. What is this shroud covering all the peoples and nations that God is going to swallow up? It is the Hebrew word lut which the basic meaning in the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament is to cover or conceal. This covering is not a covering of protection. No, this shroud is death, covering all that exists. Some Greek equivalents of this term in the New Testament include in John 19.40, the strips of cloth used in preparing a corpse for death. This term, octonion, depicts the burial cloth that covered our Lord which the disciples found in the empty tomb in John 20, 5 through 9. It says, He bent down and saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who had been following him, arrived and went right into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the strips of linen cloth, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first came in and he saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Christ swallowed up death and defeated it. We know death is coming, hanging like a cloud over us all. But one day those who are in Christ have a higher expectation. We will rise as Jesus did. And while we wait, how can we lift the shroud that covers the eyes of those in our culture? Our security is in Yahweh. But God's people place their security elsewhere in Isaiah 28, 12. Still, God's will overrides his peoples and his promises are yes and amen. Isaiah 26, 3 is one of my favorite verses and such a good reminder. Friends, the hope we have in Christ is something we must fiercely cling to or it is not hope at all. The net translation renders this verse as you keep completely safe. The people who maintain their faith for they trust in you. The NASB renders this as the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. The Hebrew term yetzer refers to what one devises in our mind. Our minds are our own undoing. Don't trust your thoughts over God's friends. Repent daily of thoughts that supersede what God has said. He never fails his people. It is impossible for him to do so. And we forsake the peace that could be ours when we fix our thoughts on self or our failed expectations rather than on what God has said. The psalmist echoes the location where this redemption takes place in Zion. He reminds us because of God's justice, which we talked about last week, we can trust in him. 
Psalm 9 verse 9 says, Consequently, the Lord provides safety for the oppressed. He provides safety in times of trouble. Oh, how much this has been the cry of my heart. Like a shroud over my life was the fear of pain and death. Then life happened and I wondered how God was keeping me safe while I went through near-death experiences. But here I am by his grace. If you are breathing today, friend, he still has purposes for you. Can you trust in him even if you have to walk through the door of pain? There is such beauty in surrendering to God's plan and promises and releasing our expectations of what that should look like. Job expresses the struggle we all feel in this regard. He expected God to see things his way and wanted to talk with God about it. Are we tempted in this way too? But the definition of a mindset is expressed by Paul, Matthew, and Mark in the New Testament is setting our mind on the things of man rather than on God. Our ways are naturally against God's reason. Job tried his coping mechanisms. He praised God even as he suffered, and he tried to reason through it. He even tried to change the expression on his face. Have you ever done this? I have. I literally have taken my face and forced a smile like this when I've gone through hard times. Job 9, 27 through 29 says, Though I say I will forget my complaint, I will put my face in order and be cheerful. I'm afraid of all my pains. I know that you will not acquit me. I am guilty. Why then should I struggle in vain? Do you feel like you struggle in vain? This world tries to tell us to fake it until we make it or adopt a positive or a growth mindset, but we are powerless to change our attitude or mindset. It is only through the Holy Spirit that we can see the things of God. Changing our mindset about suffering or expectations is more than skin deep. Our attitude needs to be fixed on the eternal, not the here and now, which is so hard. It's okay to cry out to God and tell him things are hard. He catches every tear, but don't let yourself stumble over your perceived innocence. We're all guilty at the foot of the cross, and we do not get what we truly deserve. What are the Pharisees? We can look down on them, right? But we have all been like them at one point or another, expecting Jesus to do something better or different than what we were experiencing. The Pharisees expected Jesus to follow their laws, They misinterpreted the spirit of the law. Jesus reminds them in Matthew 12, 12, so then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Don't we see this today where people are more worried about the form than the substance? You have to sing from a hymnal for worship to be legitimate or vice versa. God looks at our hearts, friends, and what our mouth speaks reveals our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34 through 36, you offspring of vipers, how can you, being evil, express any good things? For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. The good person brings out of his good treasure good things, and the evil person brings out of his evil treasure evil things. But I tell you that for every careless word, that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Listen to your words, friends. They reveal what you think about God as you struggle with the expectations you have for your life, which is no longer yours, for it is hidden in Christ. I love ending with the book of Romans to tie this up this week. The Israelites' rejection of God's plan did not mean the end of God's plan, for God used their rejection to reach the entire world. The Israelites allowed unbelief to be their stumbling block and offense with God. How about us? 
What is your stumbling block and your expectations? The stumbling block takes place in our minds. So Christ came to give us his mind. The Holy Spirit renews our minds so we can think like Jesus and understand God's ways. There's a progression for the mind of Christ that we see here in Romans 11, 34 and 35. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This quotation from Isaiah 40, verse 13 says, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him, was also developed in 1 Corinthians 2, 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Noted theologian Craig S. Keener says, Paul, who has been saying that we have the gift of the spirit, now declares that the spirit helps us to hear something of God's mind implying Christ's deity. Paul speaks of God's mind as the mind of Christ. Yes, God's wisdom is beyond human ability to fathom, yet our minds can be renewed according to his perspective, precisely because he has revealed some of that wisdom to us. In Romans 11, Paul traces God's plan in history based on God's revelation in Scripture, and knowing and actively trusting in Scripture and hearing God's word in faith, we can begin to renew our minds, immerse ourselves in God's word, the psalmist invites us to meditate on his word day and night. Don't be reformed to this world. Be transformed. It takes a renewed mind to still trust in God's love and remain confident in God's plan, even when judgment is falling all around us. Because human nature remains the same, Scripture gives us perspective and teaches us to trust God who is in ultimate control. A scripture-shaped mind will focus more on how we can fit it to God's larger plan than how he might fit into ours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please forgive us when we place our expectations for this life above your plans. You know what is best and our lives belong to you. Thank you, God, for forgiving us and please help us to lay down our expectations and live wholeheartedly surrendered for your purposes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go with God, friends, and we'll see you next week.